0: I'm so appreciative of our praise team, our praise band, and I want to begin also by just saying how appreciative I am of our church and our body and how we've responded to this crisis. Uh, You may think that we may have received uh, lots of people struggling with our decision, live stream only, but the fact is uh, I've received, our staff has received uh, practically nothing but positive reports, so thank you for being so sacrificial as you live out this Christian life uh, together in the journey we're walking on. Also, you may not know, but uh, since our structure had changed seven years ago, where we've gone to a shepherding structure and sort of an executive session that oversees uh, the work of the staff, we were able to reach out to about 90% of our total membership over the past 48 hours, just to check in, to make sure that people knew we were live stream only. And I can assure you this place is, in fact, empty. Uh, On a humorous uh, note, uh, this is like a nightmare come true for me. Uh, I have a recurring dream, I know it's probably an anxiety dream, where I get up and I'm preaching to nobody. Well, here it is, but at least I have clothes on in this uh, particular scenario. So, way to go, church. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're concluding our study of this incredible book, this last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And as is the custom in first century letters, Paul spends the last few remarks saying hello, or at least regarding other people that he mentions. Our theme throughout this series is running the race to finish well. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul says he's finished the course. He's fought the good fight. So this morning's theme is running the race with others. And perhaps at no other time in our church's 31 years of existence have we been made aware that we don't run this race in a vacuum. We are part of a global community. We are part of society. Not even just Christian society and Christian churches. We run this race as part of a global community. We find ourselves this morning dealing with a term that many of us had not considered before. We've heard of social media, but rarely have we heard of social media distancing. Social distancing occurs for a number of reasons, not only because of pandemics, but Paul gives us numerous reasons. Sometimes sinful choices of others, sometimes because of persecution. Sometimes we experience social distancing as Christians because of positive reasons like kingdom advancement. We'll talk about that. But what we learn from Scripture is that God's normal plan is for us to experience community and not social distancing. It's sometimes necessary, but it is still unnatural because the deep desire of God is that we experience community. However, as Paul pens these last words, he says he's all alone. He's in a Roman prison, not a jail cell like we would normally picture, but he's in a pit in the ground. There's just a small opening, and there's one person standing at the opening. It's Luke, the physician. He's not abandoned, Paul. Paul has nothing to write with. He's likely shouting up to Luke. Luke has a pen and some parchment. And he's writing down these words. And you can feel both the wonder and the agony in Paul's heart as he talks about various people. Paul remembers friends, he reflects on foes, and most of all, he realizes the nearness of Christ. Let me read the passage this morning, 2 Peter 4, 9 through 18. This is God's word. Do your best, he's talking to Timothy, to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, I feel so weak standing here in front of a camera. But Father, you say when we are weak, then we are strong. And so God, we pray during this time of weakness for your church, you would show yourself very, very strong. And that the revival and awakening that we've been praying for for over 30 years would be one of the gracious ramifications of this crisis. And so, God, begin in us. Begin now. Begin today. God, I agree with Mark that that this day of prayer would change our church, our city, our state, our nation, and the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, an interesting proverb, Proverbs 14, verse 4. It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. In other words, where there are lots of cattle, the stables are a mess. What's that mean? Well, God is saying that relationships can be as messy as they are wonderful. So three truths this morning about running the race with others and our responses. First of all, run the race enjoying relational beauty. That's what we've been created for. Look at verse 9. Paul writes to Timothy, Do your best to come to me soon. Now you need to realize what's going on in Paul's mind as he tells Luke to write these words. He has a short time to live. He knows, he's already told us that he is going to be executed soon. Now, what you may not know is in Paul's day, for Timothy to travel from Ephesus, which is in western Turkey, to Rome, which as you know is in Italy, is a journey of at least four to six months. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, Drop everything. Do whatever it takes. But come to me as soon as possible. You might be thinking, good grief, Paul. You're you're, you're appearing a little needy here. Not very manly, not very godly. Well, actually the opposite is the case. Paul is revealing his true colors As an image bearer of God. You see, even before the fall of man into sin, we were created for fellowship. In in Genesis 1, after God creates piece by piece by piece of the universe, he says it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then before the fall, after he creates Adam, sinless, he says for the first time, it is not good for man to be alone. We were created for community. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. God has existed as one God in three persons in relational beauty from all eternity past. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we were created to experience that relational beauty, not just with God, which we'll get to in a moment, but with each other as well. I hope that Paul's words of his longing to experience the relational beauty he has with Timothy will stir our own hearts. In in some ways, even more this morning, as you worship and listen in your homes, you would find yourself longing to be with the people at this church that circumstances have prevented us from experiencing Or, what if you were on your deathbed? What if you had four to six months to live? Who were the one or two that you would say, drop everything? Come to me as soon as you can. Who would you be the one that would be calling you? Who were the people? in your life. Pray for those relationships. Pray for that beauty. Pursue that beauty. Then look at verse 11. I've already talked about this. Luke alone is with me. What a loyal friend. What a faithful friend. We find out at the end of the book of Acts, we find out in Colossians 4 that during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, several years earlier, Luke is with him. And now during the second imprisonment before he gets executed, Luke is still with him. Who are your faithful friends that are with you through thick and thin when everyone else leaves? And again, just as importantly, who counts on you to be that kind of friend? And then look at the second part of verse 11. This is really interesting. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. You need to know there's history. Between Mark and Paul. Mark's also known as John Mark. Mark wrote what we think is the very first gospel, even though it's second in our New Testaments. Mark's gospel was likely used as the foundation for Matthew and Luke. Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Mark's mother was named Mary, and Mark's house with his mother Mary was one of the center house churches in Jerusalem at the time of the apostles. In Acts 13, we learn that Mark, who was along with Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey, for some reason he left. He went home. He deserted them. And in Acts 15, when it was time to head back out, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark with them again. And Paul said, no way. I don't trust him. There was such a disagreement between Barnabas and Paul that they split and went different directions. But here at the end of Paul's life, we see the beauty of relational reconciliation the beauty of relational redemption. It's likely that both Paul and Mark repented. Mark repented of whatever it was that caused him to go home, whether it was fear, homesickness. And yes, I believe Paul repented. Maybe of a self-righteous spirit. Maybe of harshness. Maybe of letting his passion for the kingdom get in the way of one of the most important elements of the kingdom, and that is godly community. And I think Paul repented to Mark and said, I'm sorry, son, I was wrong. You are welcome, and I need you. In Paul's greatest time of need, he calls for Mark. Now, how do you need to experience relational beauty in your lives? Who do you need to reconcile with? With whom have you had a falling out? How's God calling you to humble yourself? To say I was wrong. And then look at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas. The practical things we see in Scripture. Winter is coming. Paul's cold. There's no heat in the pit. You see, friends meet friends' practical needs. The relational beauty of friends multiplying joys and dividing sorrows. Our oldest son and his wife have recently adopted three children And to see the church spring into action. Their friends spring into action on their way home with the children. There were people that got into the house. They were cleaning the house. They were filling the pantry. They were putting food in the refrigerator. The relational beauty of friendships. Y'all know I love dogs. We have enough of them after all. Well, there's a story about George Vest. He was a senator from Missouri. And before he was a senator, he was practicing law, as many congressmen have done. And he was defending a farmer whose dog had got into trouble at a neighbor's house, and he was being sued for minor damages for what the dog had done. As George Vest gave his closing argument, he spoke these words to the jury. The one absolutely unselfish friend That a man can have in this selfish world, the one that never proves ungrateful or treacherous, is his dog. When all other friends desert, he remains by his side. When riches take wings and reputation falls to pieces, the dog is as constant in his love as the sun is in its journey through the heavens. If misfortune drives the master forth, an outcast in the world, friendless and homeless, the faithful dog asks no higher privilege than that of accompanying him to guard against danger and to fight against his enemies. And when the last scene of all comes, and death takes the master in its embrace, and his body is laid away in the cold ground, At the graveside will be found the noble dog. His head between his paws. His sad eyes alert and watchful. Still faithful and true, even in death. With this impassioned plea, Vest won a favorable favorable verdict from the jury. It's said that A dog is man's best friend. Scripture would say something different, of course, that Christians are to be each other's best friends. And even the church is to seek to be the best friend to the world. Run the race enjoying relational beauty. Secondly, run the race enduring relational pain. Look at verse 10. For Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me and left for Thessalonica. Now, you need to know, Demas, if you go to Colossians 4.14, you go to Philemon verse 24, Demas is listed among Paul's faithful fellow workers and laborers. How painful is it? When somebody you've poured your life into, somebody you've spent time with, somebody you've shared your heart with deserts you or betrays you. Jesus experienced that. He poured his life into Judas only to be betrayed. Don't, don't forget Jesus was human. Yes, he was God. Don't forget he was human. And if you think Jesus wasn't affected or hurt by Judas's betrayal, you're mistaken about how relational Jesus is. And then Peter also denied him and how that hurt as well. Look, it's happened to me. It's happened to you. It happens in churches. It happens in businesses. It happens in families. Our deepest pain will always come from our greatest loves. Sadly, loyalties often change like the wind. Why? Verse 10, he fell in love with this present age. He lost his eternal perspective. We find out, Well, we don't find out exactly why. Whether it was money, power, comfort, the heat was turned up too high, but people will forsake us and we need to run the race enduring relational pain. Then look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Again, we have no idea what really happened, but we do know in 1 Timothy 1 that Alexander was excommunicated from the church for unrepentance. So there was some kind of wickedness in Alexander's life. Many scholars feel that Alexander is the reason why Paul was arrested and is in prison and facing death. The the, the point is, evil often hunts us through relational pain and betrayal. And Paul even warns Timothy in verse 15, "...you beware of him yourself." Because he opposed our messages. Sometimes we experience relational pain because of sin in other people's lives. But, but other times we experience relational pain because of kingdom advancement. Because that's part of what it means to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Look at verse 10. Crescens has gone to Galatia. That's what is modern day Turkey. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. That is what used to be Yugoslavia, now present day Croatia. Sometimes we have to endure relational pain because of the advancement of the kingdom of God. These people didn't desert Paul. Paul actually sent them away to do the work of ministry in these areas. Look at verse 12. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Now why is that important? Well, Timothy is the pastor of Ephesus. And what Paul is saying is while you read this letter, and you start coming to me, I've already sent Tychicus to Ephesus to take your place so that the church there will be fine, but I need you, and you can feel the freedom to come because I'm sending Tychicus to take your place. These were three close friends of Paul. They were doing nothing wrong. Paul was doing nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, they were doing things right, and there was still relational pain. You know, I've recently become a grandfather, and it's hit me in a fresh way what relational pain the kingdom of God has meant for me and my family. I had never thought about it before. As I'm around the grandchildren, and I'm seeing the older one play and say first words. And as the the two young ones will start to, to crawl and then toddle and then speak their first words. It was 31 years ago that I was called to Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church to start it and pastor it. And it's never hit me what my family, my mom, my dad, my sister... And me, what we've had to endure, missing those first steps, missing those first words, missing family dinners together. We've been blessed, Lori and I have, by being able to spend a lot of time around Lori's mom and dad. But the point is, sometimes the kingdom of God will actually lead to experiencing great relational pain. There's the relational pain that comes from just living in a broken world with broken people and broken relationships. But there's also the relational pain that comes from the kingdom of God. Our son Michael in Japan with the coronavirus and it's rampant in Japan. For the first time, Michael couldn't come home even if we wanted him to or he wanted to. And we could not See Him. Relational pain because of the kingdom of God. Parents, if God calls your children as they grow up to go to the mission field, let them go. Endure the pain. If friends sometimes have deserted you, where possible, forgive. Reconcile. Reconcile. Verse 16, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me. May it not be charged against them. We're called to forgive and actually absorb the pain as we endure it. The pain of other people wronging us. Remember, as Paul writes these words to Timothy, those words were ringing in his his ear. Paul stood giving approval at the stoning of Stephen the first New Testament martyr. And as Paul stood by, Stephen raised his hands and looked to heaven and said, Father, forgive them. And of course, Luke records the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. And so now Paul, as he considers some people who deserted him, probably at his preliminary hearing, Much like Peter betrayed or denied, I should say, Jesus, Paul extends the grace that he's experienced. May it not be charged against them. Who in your life has wounded you? And God is calling you to endure emotional pain and say, Father, do not hold it against them. And then thirdly and finally, run the race experiencing relational fulfillment. Look at verse 17. But, that is a very strong adversative. In other words, Paul is making a huge contrast. Other people have left, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Though people may fail us, though foes may assail us, Jesus never leaves. Psalm 23, verse 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you, God, are with me. People, we must never, ever look to others to fulfill a role in our lives that only Jesus can fulfill. We were created for community, yes. But in a broken world, we'll never experience it fully like we will in the new Jerusalem. And you cannot put the pressure on friendships to bear a weight that only your relationship with Jesus Christ can fulfill. Paul says he was rescued from the lion's mouth in verse 17. Of course, we go to Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel was rescued. But Paul's saying he was rescued, again, most likely from an earlier death and execution. And then the hope of verse 18, And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now, this is not health, wealth, or prosperity theology. Look, there's no guarantees we're all going to be delivered from the coronavirus. There there are not any guarantees that we're going to have our breath tomorrow. What Paul is saying is, my friend Jesus will ultimately deliver me. All of the promise of deliverance and protection points to the ultimate protection against sin, evil, and death and the ultimate deliverance that only our friend Jesus can bring about. We will be delivered if we put our hope in Christ. And if there's anybody watching, listening this morning, if you've never recognized your need for Christ, if you've never acknowledged your fallenness, your brokenness, look, just look at your failures even in friendship. Look at your pride like Paul showed toward John Mark. Your arrogance, look at your self-righteousness, look at the way you've betrayed others, look at the way you've failed to reconcile with others in that area alone, our brokenness and sin is exposed, and there's nothing you or I can do to work off the penalty of that sin. All we can do is transfer our trust from ourselves to our friend Jesus, who lived a life on our behalf we could never live of perfect. And he died a substitutionary death that we could never offer as he took God's wrath and justice upon himself that we deserve on the cross. And according to the promise of God's word, God who cannot lie, we're to transfer our trust from ourselves to Jesus. And when we do that, we are assured we will ultimately be delivered from evil and sin and death. And then and only then, when we go to be with the Lord, we will experience relational fulfillment the way we were always meant to. Not only with Jesus, but also with all others who know Jesus as well. We were created to experience relational fulfillment, but it will not happen this side of eternity. That's why relationships involve such Pain. And then look what Paul says in verse 13: bring the books and above all the parchments. While we wait for relational fulfillment in the New Jerusalem, the books and the parchments were the Old Testament scrolls and perhaps even copies of what was becoming the New Testament. And Paul knew that if he was to grow in relational fulfillment with Jesus. Then he was to read the scriptures. You get to know Jesus the same way you get to know anybody else. You talk to him in prayer. You hear from him through his word. You learn from others in worship and fellowship. God is a personal God, and we get to know him like we get to know anybody else. And then look at verse 17. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and Gentiles might hear. Only as we experience a relationship with Christ that involves vision and mission will we experience relational fulfillment, and it's only as we experience relational fulfillment with Christ that we'll experience relational beauty with others, and it's only as we experience relational fulfillment with Christ that we will be able to endure relational pain And all of this thought of Jesus as his best friend leads to Paul exclaiming in verse 18, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is filled with wonder, awe, and reverence that Jesus would be his friend. Does it fill you with reverence that the God of the universe would be your friend? In 1857, near Port Hope, Ontario, you'll find a grave, a grave of a man named Joseph Scriven. Scriven experienced a life filled with tragedy, but also filled with relational fulfillment in Jesus. When he was a young man having grown up in Ireland, the very night before he was to be wed to his fiancée, Scriven's fiancée drowned. Soon after that, he moved to Canada. And upon arriving in Canada, he received word from Ireland that his mom was gravely ill. He had nothing material to send her. So he wrote her a poem. And that poem has become one of the most well-loved hymns of all time. I close with it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his harms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. The Apostle Paul is about to speak his last words to Luke to complete this last letter to Timothy. But as he closes, what's most on his mind is running the race with others. We do not run in a vacuum. Do you know Jesus? Are you running with him? And in this time of social distancing for a moment, may it make us all truly appreciate more deeply the beauty of relationship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that your word can can go across airways can 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 make its way through wires into our homes god we pray if there's anybody watching that doesn't know jesus that today would be the day of their salvation god we pray if there's any brokenness in our relationships that you would give us a conviction to reconcile this morning god we pray that we would see the beauty of redemption in our relationships. Lord, if there are, though, uh, relationships that are harmful to us, uh, may we truly practice uh, social and spiritual distancing as Paul did. And Father, most of all, might we, along with you and the Son and the Spirit, enter into that relational, eternal beauty that you offer us.